The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Line up, you fucking nerds. Who wants a shot at the champ? What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 264 for Thursday, January 8th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number is 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Our wrestling and MMA portions air on Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and our gaming and entertainment show airs Thursday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. As the disclaimer said at the beginning of the broadcast, this show is rated M for Mature due to strong language and a bunch of other stuff that you probably don't want your kids to listen to, so keep that in mind. All right, so last night was our first show of 2015. We got a lot out of the way a lot of updates got put out. A um, couple people reached out earlier today asking about, um, you know, if it's okay, which is weird, if it's okay that they only listen to the MMA portion of the show or the gaming portion of the show because sometimes they feel that they're missing out if I make any announcements. I try to keep the announcements as consistent as possible um, from show to show just because I try to keep all the announcements the same. But in the event that I don't, I'm sure Slick will remind me and um, we'll try and keep it as such. Also, Slick put it in the chat, and I think i got to get into the habit of doing that as well. If you are calling in and want to contribute to the show, please make sure when you dial in 347-324-3541, you hit option 1 to enter the queue so that Slick may screen your calls and let me know who wants to participate. You can also use that number just to listen to the show as well if you wish. If you're listening to the live feed, you can go to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv to watch audio or listen to video. Plus, the chat room is there as well for you to participate. So I got to try and get into the habit of talking about that every week. Archived episodes of the show are usually available within 24 hours on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and of course on mytakeradio.com and rageworks.net. Now to keep things consistent... (laughs) Uh, yesterday's announcements, just a lot of stuff that we're going to be doing in 2015. First and foremost is the integration of MyTakeRadio.com into RageWorks. We're going to be rolling MyTakeRadio.com's content into RageWorks. What does this mean? All the URLs will remain active. They will just forward to RageWorks.net, at which point, obviously, the MTR Live will take you to the live page on RageWorks, and all the shows will be on RageWorks.net as well. There's a couple of reasons for this. Like I said yesterday, number one is 
just trying to keep things in synergy, not trying to spread ourselves too thin, trying to update two sites, two social media accounts for for each entity is it's it's time consuming. And what it's doing is it's dividing our audience quite a bit, especially with regards to just consuming our content on a consistent basis. But our social media profiles will remain active, obviously, for show updates on the MyTakeRadio.com side of things. And, of course, RageWorks will get everything MyTakeRadio related, plus all our other content, movie reviews, game reviews, etc., throughout the remainder. Our goal is to have MyTakeRadio.com fully integrated into RageWorks.net by the end of January, if not sooner. It is currently in progress, so by all means, definitely make sure that you add RageWorks.net to your favorites to get all the other content there, meaning reviews, um, opinion pieces, feature articles, all kinds of stuff. We're really trying to uh, streamline everything and keep everything nice and consistent. Now, a couple of things I did want to discuss. There is a RageWorks YouTube channel, which you can follow. That's going to get all our unboxings, product reviews, uh, gaming streams. All that stuff is going to be on the RageWorks YouTube channel. Uh, the My Take Radio YouTube channel will remain, obviously, for My Take Radio episodes which will be there. Obviously, there is some archive stuff there, other reviews and other video features that we've done. We'll leave them there for the time being. Uh, one thing I did want to say is if you were following the My Take Radio stream on Twitch, we actually uh, deactivated that account and created one stream for Rageworks. We're going to try and continue to do more streaming, a lot of Blast from the Past stuff. I got a lot of older games that I want to share with you guys. One, for nostalgia purposes, too, because I always enjoy uh, sharing commentary on some of this old stuff. I had somebody message me on YouTube two weeks ago because they found the uh, Samurai Showdown anthology uh, blast from the past that I did, and they really just enjoyed watching that game, and it actually made them go out and try to find it, so I'm glad that um, I was able, you know, we were able to contribute to that, and we're going to try and do more of that in 2015. In addition to that, my take radio and RageWorks will have a presence at the 2015 Toy Fair in February. So if you're a fan of action figures, collectibles, you're going to need to keep it locked on My Take Radio and RageWorks. And you guys can see it um, on all of our social media platforms. We're definitely going to try and keep everything consistent. Um, one of the things I've noticed, and a couple of people have been having issues with this as well, is that RageWorks content on Facebook is not reaching everyone. Same thing with the My Take Radio content. So you may see some duplication across both fan pages, but this is to ensure that updates are reaching everyone effectively. So another thing I did mention last night is the possibility of trying to uh, our, you know, resurrect the, the forums, which you know we've been deliberating back and forth. And I think that with the aggressive tactics that Facebook is using, um, you know, it's one of those things where you know, we're going to try and do it and we'll see how well it goes and um, we'll take it from there. But it's something that probably won't be fully executed to at least the middle of the month. The other thing I did want to mention, and we are entertaining it and it may happen sooner rather than later, is moving RageWorks.net from version 1.0 to version 2.0 in regards to design. There's a couple of things I'd like to do a little differently and a different way and I'm looking at different ways to present our content to you guys that's easy, easy to consume and just allows the site to be more, um, more easy to navigate with regards to both mobile and 
PC and Mac based platform. So that's another thing we are working on. When we do move to 2.0, of course, there may be some downtime, but it definitely will not be the same type of downtime we've had in other instances. So there we have it with regards to that. Uh, one thing I do want to discuss and, you know, the on the gaming side of things, there's a lot of stuff, obviously, after the holidays, a lot of great deals happen. A lot of you guys got a lot of really cool stuff, but I, I kind of want to get into the future of gaming. And this relates to a couple of different announcements and just an evolution of the platform. And I say this because CES, um, you know, is this week and our friends at Royal Flush Magazine are over there covering it and sending us a lot of stuff and giving us a lot of updates. And I want to just talk about uh, where CES and E3 fall into play um, with regards to just moving the medium forward. I kind of feel there's a bit of overlap and, you know, I want to get into that. And I'm sure Slick is going to uh, I'm going to bring Slick on board to discuss that a little bit, just because much like me, he's not only a gamer, but also a tech enthusiast. And it's uh, there's a, there's definitely a lot of overlap. And there's also a lot of aggressive expansion with mobile pla- with mobile platforms. So I do want to get into that. We got a ton of entertainment news as well. So um, with that said, let's get the ball rolling because there's a lot to discuss. All right, let me um, cue Slick up because I do want to kind of bring him in on this discussion and we'll get into the gaming news as well. Slick, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? All right, welcome to the uh, first MTR of 2015. Glad to have you involved on this week's episode because there's a lot of stuff going on. We got CES, rumblings of E3, rumors of a new Nintendo console, and if there's anybody whose opinion definitely needs to be shared alongside mine, it's definitely yours. But as I mentioned before, we got the ball rolling. I kind of want to talk about just the synergy between CES, E3, and just the large developer conferences, uh, both from an electronic side and from a gaming side. Of course, you've covered Consumer Electronics Week here in New York City with me. Um, you know, we've covered New York Comic Con. We've covered a lot of different things. Do you feel that there's starting to be a lot of overlap amongst conventions um, with regards to just some of the stuff they're covering, like we're starting to see more mobile engagement, more mobile gaming, making a presence at E3, but we're also starting to see uh, manufacturers start to develop stuff that will impact gaming as well. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's definitely overlap, and in a way it's good, in a way it's not so good, because sometimes games that might get... um kind of swept under the rug, get a chance to shine because they might be able to go to something like Comic-Con, whereas at E3, they might get, you know, snuffed, you know, pushed out of the limelight by something like, you know, the new Halo or something. I mean, go back to one of the last times we were at Comic-Con, I think that was, what, 2011? And, um... Prototype 2 was was um, showing there. Yep. A game like that, you know, it would have gotten some some buzz at E3, but not like it could get there where basically nothing else was really showing. Well, that's, that's definitely one thing to look at. And the other thing I do want to acknowledge, and I'm glad you bring up Comic-Con, is that just geek culture, tech enthusiasts, and just overall geekdom in general is really converging across all 
all mediums. You know, like a great example, you look at San Diego Comic-Con. The name says it all, San Diego Comic-Con. But companies are showing off games. They're showing off movies. You know, obviously movies are, are becoming a bigger thing there than the medium that the cons originally represented. I mean, it's something that's really happening across the board. And with that, do you feel that there's there's too much going on in the sense that there's too many conventions and too much stuff? There's a lot of overlap because, you know, you got Tokyo Game Show, you got E3, you got New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con. There's just a lot of overlap. And obviously companies drop in and out of these events constantly. But I just sometimes feel that going less is more, you know, less is more, but. The overlap is sometimes necessary because, I mean, just from what you mentioned, the three you mentioned, you have Tokyo Game Show, New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, E3. Right. All four of those are different locations. This is true. Two of them are in California, so yeah, there might be some definite overlap there, especially, but even those are at least, um, what, no, they're only like a month and a half apart. Right. But, um... You got one that's on in a different country, one that's on the other side of this country. So I mean, different people get to go. Right, but a lot of the so, but a lot of the announcements duplicate in some cases. Right, because everything is on the internet. Right, but I mean, for the the casual observer, even for some case for the the um, the journalist or you know the the blogger like us. It's, you know, it's worth the experience to be able to go to it live versus right. getting the information online. This because is true. sometimes, just for the, like, for the casual observer, it's just cool to be able to, to see this stuff in person. And for the journalist or the blogger or whatever, I mean, you might actually get some information and be able to put it on your site that just, that you wouldn't get normally just looking at everything online or, or watching a broadcast online. No, I get I get what you're saying. I think that the thing that gets me, and, and I say this because I'm watching CES, and there, there's a couple of things that really have taken a turn towards, you know, really impacting gaming. First is the the announcement and, and the, the development of 8K Ultra HD content. We are currently in the, you know, on the precipice of 4K becoming the norm across the board and when i mean the norm across the board i'm talking about you know blu-rays in 4k that you know con more content being available in 4k and the thing that gets me with that is that people they look at it they're like oh yeah you know this is still a few years out and you know it's it's not going to impact anything but it does because think about it 4k is just finally starting to be embraced as the standard after dethroning 3d 1080p, you know, 4K starting to just be the norm. And now, while we're on the verge of 4K being a standard, 8K is already starting to take shape, you know? It's crazy. And and with that, you know, I mean, I've seen 4K programming at the Sony store here in New York City, and 4K programming is beautiful, but again, you're going to need a 4K-compatible player, a 4K-compatible TV, and you're still going to need 4K media as well. So... That, that hasn't even been adopted yet. On the contrary, what we're starting to see more of are receivers and Blu-ray players that are upscaling to 4K, which poses an interesting question from a gaming perspective, because think about it. If 4K is starting to pick up Steam, how's that going to impact the development of games? 
And think about it. If you're playing standard definition old school games, whether it's a GameCube or Dreamcast or whatever, and you're playing that on a 1080p set, you know that while the picture's passable, it's not great. What's going to happen to that to that medium when 4K is the norm? It's going to look terrible. You know, and I think that, that, that that's going to be the driving force in just forcing old school gaming out of, you know, not out of existence, but just out of out of mainstream appeal because you know once you get into that territory you're gonna have to upscale everything and it's really not gonna look good no because if you think about it if you take a ps1 game pop it in your ps3 if you happen to have an early model ps3 that can play a ps1 game and you're on your even an older uh 1080p tv right it really doesn't look good no sir it does not I will I will I will say this, you know, just before we touch on some of the some of the news stories of the week. Um 1080p now that that you know, I've I've really kind of just embraced the new technology as a whole and I I really feel that my picture takes a bigger turn when you're talking about, you know, 240 hertz versus 120 versus 60 as opposed to just it being 1080. Now some people may disagree with that, but I think that going with the Hertz, especially currently, is is something that will really make your picture pop. Of course, 4K is is beautiful, don't get me wrong, but we're not even at a stage where 1080p broadcasts are the norm. So it's something that, for me, as, as just a, an enthusiast, I just want to put it out there, and I want to put it out there immediately, don't jump you know, don't jump to the conclusion that your 4K television set or the TV you may be picking up, you know, Super Bowl weekend is going to be outdated within the next year or two. I I definitely don't think that's going to be the case. On the contrary, now's the time to get yourself a TV so you can be future-proofed. I mean, I picked up a TV, you've seen my television, that has 240 hertz and 3D. You know, if I have to get another TV when I get a new place, I'll probably make sure that it has 4K and that way, you know, I'm I'm ahead just enough, you know, but don't feel that you're I don't want people to feel that they have to jump right away and buy a 4K television set. It's not necessary. Not at all. Cause I mean, I mean, even look at some of the, the big name games that are coming out this year, like The Witcher 3 and especially um, Batman Arkham Knight. Batman Arkham Knight is only going to be in 4K on the PC. Right. And even though. Many people have a tower capable of, you know, generating video in 4K. How many of them have an actual display that's capable of handling a 4K picture? Absolutely. That's a that's a big yeah, that's my, a big my thing. My card is old as shit right now, cause, you know, compared to cards that are right now. And even my old card can handle 4K. Right, but I you're not. Can't. Right, but you're not jumping out of your skin either. To go and and get you know a 4K setup because again the medium is not there and the problem with with stuff like CES and things like that the one thing that that I do like is that it drives the cost of a lot of things down because manufacturers get scared and they go hey we got to move all this stuff so we can start getting ready for the next medium and while that's all well and good yeah. the fact is right post CES right now from the end of January through maybe April is the time to buy whatever gadgets you want because a lot of stuff is being announced and a lot of stuff is going to see serious decreases in pricing. I've seen it with cameras already this week. I've seen it with 
drones, a lot of drones, and um, definitely with a lot of peripherals as well. You know how you know that 4K really isn't the standard yet? Because there's no porno in 4K. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. You know the answer? I mean, there is, but... It's terrible to say, little. but it's true. Even some of the stuff that claims that it is looks just like the stuff that isn't. Yep. People people don't understand, and, and they, they walk through the... You know, they don't really acknowledge the fact that, that that's a driving... That's that, that that's a driving industry when, you know, the, the porno industry, when it comes to new technology, the minute that they make the jump to that technology is when pretty much everyone follows suit. And it's terrible to say. And I know I know people that are on the pruder side of things are going to look at that in a negative light. But unfortunately, it's true. This happened with VHS. This happened with Laserdisc. At the end of the day, the medium that they embraced during the HD DVD Blu-ray battle that that pretty much changed the scope of everything else. Yep. People don't want to admit that. For the HD DVD. Exactly. I remember because I was one of the jerk-offs that bought an HD DVD for my Xbox 360, and I ended up selling it, I think, for 50 bucks. I bought one at, um, I bought one at a Black Friday sale, like, literally a couple of months before they announced the, the death of HD <laughs> DVD. I wound up giving it to my mother just as like a DVD player. There you go. The thing that gets me also is that if you remember during that battle between the two mediums, it was everybody was trying to get the upper hand. And at the end of the day, who was the the, the motivating factor? The adult film industry, because they were they pretty much were like, yeah, we're just going to go with Blu-ray. And everybody thought that HD DVD was going to win. I was like, why does anybody think that when Blu-ray has more capacity and you know, a better picture. Absolutely. Overall. No, like, I think... well, HD DVD has all these features. I'm like, no, it's not happening. Yeah, it was, It was. you know, it's crazy. It, it died It died incredibly quick. But um, with that said, I want to kind of switch gears and jump into this week's gaming news. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is, of course, the, the title that everyone's looking forward to in 2015, besides uh, some of the titles that Handel mentioned earlier, is Halo 5 Guardians. Of course, the multiplayer beta is out, and if you picked up the Halo Master Chief Collection, you are able to participate in the beta. I learned this the hard way because I saw the beta on my Xbox Live dashboard. I downloaded it, then it said, oh, stick your Halo Master Chief Collection disc in in your Xbox One to access the beta, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't have that. (laughs) So, yeah, I got played. But in any case, uh, the beta is still available, and it runs through January 18th. Each week, they're going to be releasing new content, maps, weapons, um, and, of course, the game itself when it comes out, which is going to have a ton of stuff. We should not be shocked. You're going to have a standard edition, a limited edition, and a limited collector's edition. Now, with that said, the standard edition obviously is going to come with the game and an exclusive poster, which, of course, will only be available to those that pre-order the $100 limited edition gives you everything from the standard edition plus new digital content to enhance Spartan combat plus exclusive items wrapped in it. And the game itself is coming in a steel book packaging. Now, last but not least, the limited collector's edition, before I read what it contains, how much do you think it costs, Slick? 150 bucks. Uh, no. <laughs> Are you ready 200. for this? Are you ready for this? 250 Gives you everything Suck that... a dick, <laughs> and it comes with a helmet that sits on your chest. Nope. Actually, 
It comes with all the additional content plus a commemorative numbered statue designed by 343 Industries. So, again, you and I have discussed this at length in previous broadcasts. It's it's dipping your toes in the pool. Let's see what happens if we put the limited edition out for 100 bucks. Oh, it'll sell. Let's try 150. Oh, still selling. Let's try 200. No problem. 250. Let's go. You see what I'm saying? Even if I were a Halo fan, I wouldn't spend that much. You know what I want to see more of? What's that? I want to see more of what what Warner Brothers is doing, which I kind of hope they do something similar with Batman to what they're doing with Dying Light. Well, uh, you pre-order the game, depending upon when you pre-order it, you get extra weapons. That's that's one thing that works. I mean, Batman is doing the commemorative statue, which a lot of people uh, that have been leaking pictures because there's a slight spoiler on the statue, which I think isn't correct. I'm sure it's probably going to be misdirection, and I don't want to put it out there because I don't want to fuel the rumor. But the commemorative statue for Arkham Knight looks very nice, I got to admit. But I guarantee you... It's not going to be the usual $100. I bet you that game will also have a $150 or $200 uh, collector's edition to get that statue. Doesn't matter. It's already sold out. Let me guess. You tried, didn't you? No. Sarah tried. Ah, okay. She's very pissed off. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, that's what happened with the Hulkamania box set for WWE 2K15. It was sold out immediately to the point where people were selling their pre-orders on eBay and on Craigslist. Which is insane. It's amazing the shit that they'll put on eBay and people will spend extra money for. Well, you know what was funny? We were joking a couple of weeks back before we closed out the year about the double gun Samus Amiibo. Well, the new thing is that any Amiibos with defects are going for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's like, what are you going to do with it? I no clue. Oh, you're going you're gonna to put it on your freaking desk. You're not even going to use it for what it's made for. It's it's insane. The amiibo the amiibo thing has gotten slightly out of hand, just because obviously some retailers are getting some that others can't get. I mean, Little Mac is one of the ones that's really sought after. The terrible Wii Fit trainer, you know, all the all the usual suspects. But people, like I said, have started to create this this secondary market for um, misprints, which I mean, you know, I, that that goes as as far back as collecting comics. You know, when there'd be issues or even stamp collecting. Yes, and, and um, action figures as well. Oh, action figures for sure. I mean, there were there were a couple figures when I was buying Marvel Legends back in the day that if there were uh, variants or, or pork or incorrectly colored accessories, they were worth more money. I, but the thing with the Amiibos is that Nintendo is laughing their way to the bank because what they'll do is, oh, yeah, there's less of x shitty amiibo like a real terrible one and everybody just be like oh shit i gotta get it before you know before they stop selling it you know like oh here's here's a uh an amiibo of like one of the turtles from mario only 50 were made no one would want to play as a fucking turtle but they'll make sure to get it awesome but on the flip side well nintendo's nintendo's laughing their way to the bank not only that, but Nintendo, there's a lot of rumblings that they're working on their on their next console, which, depending on how you look at it, might be, might be good news or bad news. Then the reason I say this is because if you're making a system, if Nintendo's working on a new system, they're probably going to work their hardest to ensure that it remains backwards compatible to not cannibalize 
anything else, you know, to, to motivate people to invest in the console. But the only thing is that I feel that the serve that, that the Wii U, they've only just recently started to scratch the surface. Just because one thing people need to consider is just because Nintendo may be working on a new console, it doesn't mean it's coming out anytime soon. Yep. That's one thing to consider. The other is, of course, that like I said, Nintendo's all about trying to keep their consumers happy. So they try to keep things as backwards compatible as possible. And I guarantee you that if they release whatever console they 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 whatever console they release is gonna have whatever medium it uses and probably still be backwards compatible with the Wii U and maybe still go far as far back as the GameCube. But I think I think the GameCube backwards compatibility may get the boot with this next gen with it whatever won't. next gen console it they won't drop. Go to the GameCube because even the Wii U is only backwards compatible to the Wii. The Wii is backwards compatible to the GameCube. Well, even even in that case, taking that into consideration, then even the Wii backwards compatibility may get the can. Possibly. But I think Nintendo's still working off the same disc with the Wii U that they are with the, the Wii. So unless there's a new disc format or something, there's the possibility that it may encompass both Wiis, especially if the new console still has that terrible name. Well, I think I think if they were smart, they'd probably start going to Blu-ray to start including more content in their games, and then also include the backwards compatibility on the, you know, to read those other discs as well. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, it depends on on what they do. I mean, you know, on Nintendo, they might come out with a new damn disc. This is true, but you got to look at this and 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 correct me if I'm wrong. I are you in a in agreement that it's only now that the Wii U has started to hit its stride? For them, for this to even start being a, a a debate, I mean, yes, you can say that you're working on a new console, but even when you make that announcement or or though or that news breaks, retailers start quaking in their boots because then they they got to try and figure out ways to sucker you in. I mean, you know, Nintendo's new console may not have a name, but the fact that it's being developed won't stop a, a, a retailer like GameStop from asking you if you want to pre-order it, and you know this is true. Anybody that pre-orders a Nintendo <laughs> whatever is a moron. Because I highly doubt you will see a new Nintendo console anytime before at least 2018. Okay. Unless it's a handheld. Fair enough. Well, Which, actually, that's, that's a definite because the remake of the 3DS XL comes out this, this year, which has me pissed off because it's the one which two analog sticks yep that's correct uh, and i'm gonna get into that as well later on in the segment but the the thing with that is i think nintendo's handheld division can can actually get away with putting out new hardware because the the the, the mobile market is becoming more aggressive like i was saying before you know it's something that's becoming so for nintendo to maintain their their position at the top of the mountain they definitely got to step their game up and you know what the thing is? It's like, look at the PlayStation Vita. As as nice as the hardware is and as nice as the games looked, nobody gives a shit about it. I don't know why at this point, because they're still priced pretty competitively. Yeah, I mean, it's freaking compatible with the PS3 and the PS4. Absolutely. Which is nuts. I mean, they, they made that work without even you know doing a re-release on the hardware. That's true. Not to mention the fact that PS Plus continues to be 
uh, a solid investment for all three consoles. Right now, in, in January, they're actually giving out some good stuff. PlayStation 4 is getting Infamous First Light, The Swapper, and Wo- and a game called Woe Dave. And um, PlayStation 3 is also getting The Swapper, Duke Nukem 3D Megaton Edition, Prototype 2, and DuckTales Remastered. And the PlayStation Vita is getting the Swapper and Whoa Dave yet again. So clearly, they clearly want you to play the Swapper, and they clearly want you to play Whoa Dave. Well, it's not even that. It's it's the fact that a game like games like those like let's take a game that I purchased at the end of last year, Counter Strike. You purchase it once, you get three copies of the game: one for the PS4, one for the PS3, and one for the PS Vita. So it's not even that they, you know, they just really want you to play the game. It's just that it's a, it's a, the cross buys. It's like I don't know why Nintendo's not doing this, but I mean Xbox will. Xbox is not even going to do it with, but they definitely could benefit if they were like saying if they're their arcade games to say, you know, buy this for the 360, and when you upgrade to the Xbox One, you'll have the Xbox One version of it too. Yeah, well, Johnny in the chat says that the Vita was shit and that he regretted his purchase. He said there's pretty much nothing out for it. And this goes back to what I was saying. The the value of the of the PlayStation Plus and the Xbox Live Gold memberships is really starting to to pay off cuz think about it. Infamous First Light. How long has that been out? Cuz I remember you picked it up, right? No, I did not. You didn't. You, Mr. Infamous, no, didn't pick did that up? Not. Oh shit. I will pick it up for free. <laughs> But I read into that, and one, the story was not was not even properly linking to the original game. Cause okay, it's a backstory for a secondary character. Right. And secondly, you know, after I saw some gameplay, I was like, "Fuck this game." That's crazy, dude. I was like, you know what? G- give me, give me, a, give me a sequel to Second Son. I was really not interested in First Light. I I swore you picked that up. I'm. I I am surprised that you didn't, but I'm also, but it's also nice to hear that you know you're still gonna give it a shot because it's free, you know. Dude, <laughs> one thing I will tell you: infamous side stories, not necessarily worth buying. I got that festival of blood game. Yep, it I was remember. A festival of fucking festering shit. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I I am I am excited. I mean, it, it honestly wasn't terrible. I, I'm I'm willing to wager that it's better than First Light, but it's like it, it just didn't make any sense. A lot of it didn't make any damn sense. But that's a whole other story. Well, I'll tell you this: on the PlayStation Three, that that Duke Nukem 3D isn't too bad. And uh, honestly, you're getting three pretty decent games that'll eat up quite a bit of time. Ducktales Remastered, you know, just from a nostalgia standpoint. He is going to sucker people in prototype two, same thing. And Duke Nukem 3d just for shits and giggles. I'm definitely going to download. I mean, I downloaded the Hitman collection that they put for free. I think it was last month or the month before, just because I had played the, the last newer Hitman game and I really liked it. So I figured shit, let me pick this up and just take that trip down memory lane. Oh, I'm definitely going to pick up DuckTales. I'm, I'm kind of pissed that, Prototype 2 is on the list just because it just reminds me that there is no Prototype 3. Well, you know, I was shocked when they gave away that Dungeons & Dragons side-scrolling game. That was really good. Everybody really enjoyed that. And before you knew it, it was available for free. I was like, well, shit, glad I didn't spend 
the 12 bucks that it was at the time. Well, I don't know. PS Plus, they, I, I kind of think that I kind of feel like they give away a little bit too much. I'm not complaining, but it's like I feel like they'll run out of games. No, I definitely Especially think so. PS4. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Xbox One is giving out this game, Dark Dreams Don't Die. And then from January 1st through the 15th on the 360, you could get MX versus ATV Alive. And then from January 16th through the 31st, you're getting The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings. So pretty still solid lineup for the Xbox 360 as well. Who plays the Xbox 360? Hey, I still play that. Get out of here. <laughs> Come on. I when haven't... do you play the Xbox 360? I actually play a lot of Ultra Street Fighter 4 on my Xbox 360. That's because you're a nephew. Yeah, that's that's partially the reason, but I also still got a backlog of games I gotta let's, play. Let's be realistic. If you didn't have an Xbox One, would you have an Xbox Live Gold subscription right now? Yes. Again, because of John. No, 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 not even because of John. Just because of the free games, dude. Don't get me wrong. I I mean, we 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 get a shit ton of games, as you see the air quotes from from tons of developers. So you know, we gotta have everything. No, 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 <laughs> no. It, it, you know, I, I like, I each system has their own merits. They have games that I enjoy, and I created this this mantra for myself where single player games were get, are getting played on the PlayStation Three, and then multiplayer stuff and just stuff that I know other people would play. I'd get on the three sixty just to shoot the shit. Um, there are some exceptions, but that's usually the the, the way I've. I've I've done it. I mean, you know, with the exception being the Darksider series, which um, you know I picked up on Xbox 360 at the time. But other than that, that's usually been the mindset I've been using. I'm trying to think of. I'm looking at like games that are coming up this year so far. That games that are possibly going to fall short of expectation. And what I'm worried about is the first game that I think that might fall into that category. Shoot is. The, the first big one for PS4, which is the Order 1886. You know what the problem they is? They keep making. Go ahead. They keep making more and more trailers, and I'm seeing less and less gameplay. Well, you know what the problem is with with these games, and this goes back to something that you've said to me with regards to movie trailers. Sometimes the more trailers you see, the less inclined you are sometimes to play with certain games because you're like, all right, this shit can't look this fucking good. And then sometimes you're mildly surprised. I mean, it depends on the game. It depends on, on on the genre and if you're a fan of that particular genre. But most times, it's like game trailers are exactly that. Most times, it's cutscenes. Very rarely are we getting true gameplay. I mean, we, we, we were joking about on the Facebook fan page about WWE Immortals and the fact that they've released so many uh, quote-unquote concept art pieces for it, yet nobody knows what the fuck the game looks like. I didn't even know it was supposed to be a game. I kept wondering myself what the hell it was supposed to be. Yeah, it's a it's a mobile game, supposedly that's going to be done. It's supposed to be a comic book or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a game that's gonna. I, I've been hearing that it's going to be similar to like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. Don't quote me on that. So we'll see how that goes. But as far as far as I'm as far as you know what you're saying, it's it's one of those things where underwhelming games at this stage of the game are going to be commonplace. Because there's so much oversaturation of information that you're going to see 17 trailers, three or four Twitch streams, 
you know, 17 different reviews. And unless you finally play the shit yourself, you're, you're, you're going to have, you're going to be bombarded with opinions. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I kind of like that the way we just do our reviews. And I'm not even saying it to blow smoke up our own asses. It's the fact that the way we do reviews, we play them. We try and give you the easiest and most and most clear and concise reviews possible. We're not going to give you a nine page review because nobody gives a shit about frame rate unless you're a professional or you're deeply entrenched in the gaming industry. People want to know, does this game suck? Yes or no, period. These are the facts, you know, and this goes this goes towards any game. You could read 100 reviews on Metacritic and the game can be trending at 70 percent, 80 percent. And you might play the game and think it's a festering pile of shit. It happens all the time. I mean, dude, a lot of people hated DMC. I ended up getting it for free. I played it and I was like, wow, this game wasn't as shitty as I would have thought. Definitely a far departure from what I'm used to, but it wasn't completely terrible. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So the next game that I'm worried might fall short of expectation, also a big game, No Man's Sky. I heard about that. I haven't seen too much about it. Um, definitely uh, give me the skinny. I mean, it's it's a very, first of all, it's a very beautiful game. Right. Secondly, it's like, it's procedurally generated so that like nobody has the same experience. I don't even know how the multiplayer is going to work in that because they're like, there's literally as many worlds in this game as there are stars in the sky. That's, that's what they're, they're getting at. Holy cow. But it's like, I've seen planets on top of planets. I've seen all different manner of beasts. I've seen all different manners of, you know, ships, whether they be starfighters or carriers or whatever, I've seen, like, no combat. Mm, interesting. And I've seen, like, videos that are, like, 10 minutes long of this game, and, you know, you'll go into hyperdrive, and you'll go from one planet to the next, you'll just literally discover a planet, and, like, if somebody else comes to it, it'll say that, you know, Rich found this planet, and it's like, it's like, wow, this game is beautiful, but you do absolutely nothing in it. That's a little crazy. You, you, know, what, you know what's funny, and, 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 and it's interesting that you mentioned that, I think a lot more companies are just leaving, are just going with the whole open beta or, or early access so that they can, try, they can kind of measure how people are going to react to certain games. I mean, um, uh, Sony Online Entertainment's President John Smedley actually said on Twitter that the PlayStation 4 beta for Planetside is going to be dropping in January. And the funny thing is that the beta the beta probably drops either January 13th or January 20th, but the thing about it that gets me is you haven't heard much about the game up until that beta. You get what I'm saying? The same thing with, with Halo. It's like, oh, we're going to show you this Halo trailer, then quiet, then, oh, surprise, open beta for the new game. I think that, that we're going to start seeing a lot of that for games, both high-end titles, you know, five-star titles, but also titles that are kind of 50-50 because it'll be a good way to gauge the success for those games. It's the same thing like when movie trailer, um, movies are screened to the press. When the movie's not screened to the press, there's a, there's a 50% chance that it might be shit, you know? Yeah, it's like the same shit with games. It's like what happened with some... Um, damn, that's so bad, I can't even remember the name of these games. 
the two driving games that just recently came out, The Crew and... Drive Club? Fucking Drive Club. Oh, my God. I mean, they both were, you know, freaking sucking eggs. Well, you know you know what's funny? That with, with, with a lot of those games, you're, you're, you're going to get a lot of hype. Because think about it. You saw how much stuff for Drive Club and how much stuff for... Well, not as much stuff for The Crew. Let's not kid ourselves. But for but for Drive Club, you got a ton of shit. Then everybody that played the game was like, eh, <laughs> that was it. But screw all this, the statues and all this extra shit to make money. I think what people will actually make people go crazy for a game like Batman is what they did with Arkham City. And, and that's just to have the different skins. I think just because I'm looking at this picture for Batman where he's like, jumping away from an explosion and he has the cape out and it looks like wings. If they give you the option to get the Hellbat armor, which I don't know if you've seen that. I have. If you get the Hellbat armor in that game, even if it's not, you know, like as ridiculous as the real armor, right. how many people are going to go crazy just to get that shit? Well, that the costumes I mean, the costumes were a fun a fun thing to do, you know, getting all the different costumes, Batman Beyond, the 1966 exactly. Batman. It was fun, I have to admit. I bought that shitty, what was it, NOS? <laughs> yes. Just to get that Batman Beyond armor? I remember that. We were actually in the store, I think, together. You're like, I can't believe I have to buy this shit to get this armor. I remember that. I, I will say, while we are on the subject of that, that, you know, aside from, from the companies trying to do more to get people involved with the games... I also feel that the that the companies themselves, Microsoft and Sony, are are trying their best to give people additional value for for console loyalty. And I say this because you already know that PlayStation is getting the Powers TV series, which looks pretty which looks pretty cool, and Xbox One is getting the Halo series. But the other thing is that they're you know in Sony's case, they're also trying to offset that huge outage that they suffered for Christmas Day. They actually announced that they're going to extend the uh, PlayStation Plus membership for five days, and they're also going to offer um, a 10% discount code off any purchase on the PlayStation Store as a thank you to, PS Plus me- to PSN Plus members. And the thing that gets me with that is that, and I've said this before, the console race is going to be decided by, number one, unique content, but number two, the games that are available. Not the multi-platform stuff, but the exclusive stuff, like Powers, you know, it looks, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's the same thing as watching a TV a TV series on Netflix. But still, this this particular approach is going to make things very interesting for a lot of mediums. Because think about it, maybe a company wants to put out a TV series based on Infamous, or or a TV series about Nathan Drake, or something something along those lines. You know that getting it on Sony's platform is going to be substantially easier than trying to pitch it to a film studio or try and pitch it to I, I mean the the Nathan Drake obviously is a is a not a, a great example but you get what I'm saying yeah but also what do you call it what when you talk about winning the the race these companies if they're not if they don't already have it or if they're not actively looking for at least two new IPs each right it's like it's not happening because especially Microsoft, I mean, you got Master Chief and Master Chief. Master Chief. <laughs> you got Master Chief and everybody <laughs> else that's not Master Chief. It's like, really, you got Master Chief. Because, yeah, they have other IPs of their own, but 
at the end of the day, even the ones that sell well, nobody really cares. You well, got Master Chief. That's it. You got Master Chief, and 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 by association, you got Gears. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's right. Like, even Gears is like, really, compared to Halo, does anybody care about Gears? You know what it is? Gears is very flash in the pan. And I say this because the multiplayer gets accepted right away, and everybody's, you know, blowing their load on it. Oh, my God, it's so great. And then, you know, a year later, it's like, oh, yeah. Who's on the servers? Five people. It's like Destiny. I mean, Destiny's still doing very well, but compared to when it dropped, Destiny's like almost non-existent right now. Yeah, but Destiny's going to go through phases a la World of Warcraft, where they're just going to hit you with the expansion, and then the shit's just going to blow up again. Like, like they've positioned themselves well with that game because they know that that's a game that they they can reboot every time they release an expansion. No, but see, Warcraft never dies down. Warcraft is just that the, the little Hobbit people, they go hide in their holes and they <laughs> play Warcraft. And honestly, not to shit on anybody who plays Warcraft, because we're all gamers. I love you all. But you, you're fucking like Hobbits living in your Hobbit holes. You disappear and play Warcraft forever. And then when an expansion comes out, you come out all pasty-faced and pale, shunning the light because it hurts your eyes. You buy the expansion, and you disappear again until the next one. Yeah, Let's dude. be realistic. But you know what, dude? I'm not, I can't even knock it too much, but when, the, when those expansions are selling in the fucking millions and Blizzard is just sitting there swimming in money, it's like, yo, the, these guys, they got the formula down to a fucking science. Exactly. Like I said, I'm, as much as I'm, I'm cracking jokes right now, <laughs> I got much love for those those little Hobbit people because, (laughs) yo, they're doing their thing. We do our thing, honestly. If if we could, if you could somehow not neglect your wife, make money, and keep the bills paid and take care of everybody in your household, wouldn't you dedicate, like, fucking 10 10 hours a day to gaming at least? Yeah, and 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 in that respect, I would be, I'd be PewDiePie. I, let me tell you, dude, I can't knock anybody who's gaming on that level because when you see guys like PewDiePie make $4 million a year doing what they love, dude, there's no, you can't even knock it if you tried. It's like, it's like, what are you, you know, billionaire philanthropist playboy? It's like, what are you, gamer, YouTuber, millionaire? Can't knock that even if you wanted to. And And the thing that gets me is that everybody's trying to do it. Everybody's trying to stream to become the next guy. Everybody's trying to get noticed. Everybody's trying to... Why do you think that they integrated the, the, the streaming capabilities so easily into consoles? Because they know that people like to watch other people play shit. Yeah, because, I mean, in, in the long run, it kind of helps other people, too. Because, you know, what's the first thing you do when you don't know how to get past a certain area in the game? Either A, you read a, a freaking... GameFAQs.com, homie. Or B, you like you go to YouTube and you look for that exact place in the game. Yep. And you see someone, oh, that's how you do it. Well, I did I did want to, not to get sidetracked because we, we, we end up doing it quite easily. I did want to kind of touch on some other news items. Um, PlayStation Now is actually going to a subscription-based format. Well, correction, they're, they're launching a subscription-based format, which will allow you to play games 
1999 for three months. I mean, correction, one month for 1999 or three months for 44.99. They're going to be a hundred titles available, including The Last of Us, Batman, Arkham City, Drake's Fortune, Bioshock Infinite. Uh, the service, of course, will begin on the PlayStation 4, and they're going to be giving people a seven-day free launch trial. Now, the thing that gets me with this is at 19.99 for one month to to play, you know, to stream PlayStation 3 and down the road PlayStation 4 games. Do you feel there's any value in that versus I don't know a GameFly membership? Dude, my nice 50 inch TV is sitting right in front of me. There's a PlayStation 4 on the left, a PlayStation 3 on the right. Right. PlayStation now can eat a bag of baby dicks. But it's it's easy for you to say that, but but what's the what's the merit what's the merit behind you not feeling good about this concept? Also, um, I always say whether I like something or not, I never knock somebody for trying to get paid. Right, but but it won't be my it won't be my money. Okay, but what again? The, there the, is no reason for me to get PlayStation now because the games I want to play for PlayStation Three, I have them. Okay. The things that I don't, I'll either find them at some point, or I won't. Right, but because what I what I what I'm leaning towards is: Do you feel that for uh, step step out of yourself for one second? Do you feel that there's value for the average consumer in that service? Because I'll be honest, as a GameFly user, I feel there's more value paying you know twenty nine ninety nine a month and playing as many games as I want versus. Nineteen ninety nine per month and forty five dollars for three months. I feel there's more value in forty nine ninety nine a year and just dealing with what Sony gives me for free. Okay, and that's me stepping out of myself. Okay, see, for me, I just feel that there's more value in, in exactly what you said in, in in getting a PlayStation Plus membership and getting your free titles that way. Because at the end of the day, between eBay, Amazon. Craigslist, borrowing it from your friends, you're going to get your hands on that game. I understand that you're trying to, to revolutionize the medium and start go, moving away from, from physical medium to get people to just stay in their house more, but the fact is that Sony, when they or- originally launched PlayStation Now, it wasn't as well received as they'd hoped, and everybody said, hey, if you do a subscription model, it'll be better. Now, you know, let me let me not... Let me not shit on it totally because if you're buying one or two games here and there and you're really not spending a lot of money and the 20 bucks a month doesn't hurt you or even the three months for 45 bucks because three months at 19.99 is 60. You're getting a $15 savings going 44.99 a month. You're, you're going to be able to benefit from it because you'll be able to play that library of a hundred games. But like I said, me personally, I just feel there's more value in physical mediums because if the PlayStation Network goes down and that's your only source of getting games, guess what you're not doing? Playing a fucking game. Playing zero. Playing jack shit. There you go. That's where I see it. I mean, you know, PlayStation Plus, Xbox Live, they're great. There's there's residual value in terms of just having both services, but you can find PlayStation 3 games substantially cheap. Some games you might find at the $20 mark. Hell, $45 may buy you three or four games, depending on what games in particular you're looking for. Or like I said, me personally, you know, with with my with, with Gamefly, I'm able to rent for PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, 360, GameCube, Wii U, 
Hell, they even added Blu-rays recently. But again, um, that's that's they're trying to get your money one way or the other because now that I think about it, I, I know somebody who recently got a PlayStation Four and swears he's never gonna buy, you know, um, PlayStation Plus. I'm like, how are you gonna enjoy PlayStation Four without PlayStation Plus? But he claims he's gonna do it. I, I doubt he's gonna make it, but we'll see. And you, something like PlayStation Now might work for him because he's like, well, can I? I can't play my PS3 games on the PS4. I'm like, no, you can't. Nope, zero. And I guess I might need a PS3 again because I think something happened to his PS3. It's 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 a very unique situation, but again, different strokes for different folks. I mean, it's not it's not something I'd go with, but to the average person that maybe buys the occasional game here or there. They might benefit from pl- and play more going that route, but I I, I definitely feel that twenty bucks a month eh, on top of what you're paying for PlayStation Plus, if you decide to go that route, that's that's a that's a pretty hefty nut for for you know a library of a hundred games thus far. Obviously, they're going to add more, but I think it's it's if if I were a gambling man, I'd recommend you wait for the library to be a little bigger before jumping in and worst case do the seven day free trial and if you don't like it go about your business there you go well earlier in the segment you were talking about the the uh the 3ds and it's funny because for legend of zelda majora's mass 3d they're actually releasing a special edition 3ds that is coming with a skull kid figurine which um you know it's probably it's gonna be uh there's no um let me put it like this. A lot of people, when they saw pictures of it, they were very excited. I mean, the bundle's forty nine ninety nine. You get the Majora's Mask 3D and the Skull Kid figurine, and great. You know, you're putting that out. But you notice the way that they did it. The, the game isn't... The game's included. You're getting the figurine, and the cost of ownership isn't in the $100 range. Right. You know, you're still... You're still Nintendo usually will give you stuff and not try to bleed your dress. Exactly. And that's one of the things I kind of wanted to bring out. I know that you're frustrated about the whole new 3DS thing, but they are they're still trying to take care of 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 the 3DS supporters with things like this. I'm like, you know, getting the game even though it's a game that obviously is it's a classic, it's still going to get a good shelf life on on the mobile platform, not to mention that you know the Skull Kid statue looks pretty cool as well. You know what? Nintendo could really clean up with doing stuff like that. If it wasn't a Skull Kid statue, but a Skull Kid amiibo. That is true. If they did a Skull Kid amiibo, they would probably do some serious damage. You know what would be cool? If they released, um, I'd li- I'd really like to see a brand new version of Punch-Out. Yeah, but my only problem is unless it got creative like Super Punch-Out, I really don't want to see it unless they bring back Tyson. Yeah, but I think, I, you know what would be funny? Uh, like, and I, and I talked about this. Doing super, doing a brand new punch out, and instead of playing as Little Mac, Little Mac is the champion, and you got to fight through it as Mike Tyson. And I, that's extremely interesting, but that still involves bringing back Tyson, which you know, that probably not too interested in doing. Oh, that depends. I mean, Mike Tyson right now he's riding a, a big wave of success. You know, Mike Tyson mysteries. Uh, you know, he's cleaned up his life quite a bit. And, you know, sure, it's not the completely, quote-unquote, G-rated, family, family-friendly family image that Nintendo tries to project, but this is also a Nintendo that's trying to escape 
being pigeonholed in that image. You know what I mean? By putting out games that are a little bit more on the on the line. So to go that route and, and you have a great ambassador and a guy like Mike Tyson, I'd love to see that. Imagine you get a Mike Tyson amiibo. Oh, dude, it'd be insane. I would definitely pay 13 bucks for that. Yep, I'd buy a Mike Tyson amiibo immediately. Even if I didn't have the system, I'd buy it because you know that the amiibo figure designs are, are pretty cool. And a nice cartoonish looking Mike Tyson with the little gap like he looked in the game. In the in the original punch out would be insane. I would like a Mike Tyson amiibo throwing a um Oh the uppercut jab. Either a jab or an uppercut. I mean I'm thinking a jab just because the uppercut kinda twists the body around. <laughs> so the jab looks a little bit more natural as a statue. Right. But like I don't want the I don't want the amiibo to be smooth. I want it to be all bumpy to look like it's eight bit. Oh, that would be really cool. Like slightly eight, an 8-bit mod. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd probably do a Mike Tyson and maybe one or two of the more iconic guys. Maybe maybe you could play the game, and, and, and this is crazy. You could play through career as Mike Tyson, or you could play through career as one of the original guys from the first game. Because what you end up doing at that, yeah, like you'll end up playing as those guys that are on a path of redemption, and now you have brand new guys that you'll be able to fight against. So you'll be able to play as... You know, Piston Honda, Bald Bull, Mike Tyson. You know what I mean? Little Mac is the champion. And I think I think by doing that, it'll allow you, imagine going back to what you were saying, you know, a Piston Honda Amiibo or a Don Flamenco or even a shitty-ass Glass Joe. <laughs> I'd play that immediately. How crazy would it be if you made a punch-out and Glass Joe was the champion? That would be out of control, but you know what? It'd be it'd be it'd be even better. Like I said, to play through the game as Glass Joe because you, they'd give you like an achievement for beating the game just using Glass Joe. He'd be he'd have like because uh, he had what a hundred losses. Yep, he has like two hundred wins and a hundred losses now. Yep, dude, it would be it would be fantastic just going that route. And I think I think that doing that will not only. I'll open up a brand new, you know, it, it it introduce a brand new fan base, but you'd be able to capture so much of that nostalgia because I'm sorry, you talk to any 80s, 90s kid, or well, 80s and early 90s kid, and you talk about Mike Tyson's punch out, and everybody has a story, whether it's playing the game on the NES or playing Super Punch Out on the Super Nintendo, there's always a story. You know what I mean? And it's always just a fond memory. Like, I remember. When, when I conned my mom into buying me the Power Glove, and the first game I went and rented from the video store was Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And you realized the Power Glove sucked? I didn't hate the Power Glove. I'll be honest. It was just a very cumbersome setup because I had the big the big wooden TV that, by the way, is still in my house. And, um, you know, the Power Glove, the way it was set up, you had the three sensors that formed an L, and you'd have to put it put it on the edge of your TV, and you'd have to make sure to stay within the you know the 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 sight of the sensor. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. It was a big pain in the ass. Crazy. Yep. But anyway, the thing is, like the Power probably would have worked later on if they had waited a while and developed it later and made it for games like GoldenEye. That might have been cool. I just feel that peripherals from Nintendo's point of view are definitely not their strong suit. Rob the robot, the fucking power glove, just 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 duds. That uh, Super Scope Six, remember that? It wasn't so. I never had it, but it wasn't so bad. 
I, I mean, don't... it's just that the way you were supposed to hold it, it's like the light gun was so much better. The light, you know, it was funny on Christmas Day. I don't know if you if you if you noticed it or you picked it up on the Wii U. They were giving away a Duck Hunt. No, I remember I was a little bit not, yeah. a little bit away right. from my console on Christmas Day. Right, right, right. So were you? Yep. No, I, I understand, but it, it, I, I figured I'd ask just in case. At that point, I said, "Shit, I should have bought a Wii U," but I still got to get one. Anyway, let's. Um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some kind of deal. Oh yeah, sooner rather than later. Let's uh let's wrap things up. For those of you that are playing WWE 2K15, there's going to be a brand new Move Pack DLC that's coming out on January 13th. You're going to get the spinning power bomb, a spike tombstone pile driver, a backslide driver, and a slew of other moves as well. This is going to be separate from the season pass because the season pass is only uh only includes showcase storylines and page. Everything else is separate. So Take that into consideration if you have the season pass because the moves the moves pack DLC will be priced separately. And this is coming straight from Marcus Stevenson on Twitter. Um, obviously, if they had included all that stuff, the DLC season pass would have been a lot more than $24.99. So something to consider if you're expecting that DLC pack to show up because you got a season pass, it's not going to happen. So I'm afraid I've got some bad news. That's a bullshit. Isn't it? <laughs> You go, you pay the twenty four ninety nine. It's like, oh yeah, you get page and showcase storylines and maybe the uh, you know new roster additions like WCW. I think the the WCW pack was included in the season in the season pass, but the moves DLC pack is not. It's like you create your own moves. They used to. They took a lot. They they took out. They stripped out so much stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great things in the game, but again, and I said this when I did the review for it. It's their first entry into next-gen consoles, so, you know, I, I give them a pass in certain respects, but they can't pull that shit next year. That's all I'm saying. Well, a lot of stuff needs to happen this year. I mean, we're, we're right at the beginning, but I, I, I there's a lot of stuff I, I feel that we need to see this year from these new consoles. Well, on Sony's side, there there's certain things that they're already kind of trying to to kind of sweep under the rug. You know, we were talking about the Vita earlier on in the, in the segment, but a lot of people um, during the holiday season were picking up the PlayStation TV, which is like their game streaming device. And um, at one point during Christmas, they had it for 80 bucks at GameStop. Now the um, the standalone micro console is staying at $80 with a notice, you know, obviously being marked down from 100 Now there's one that comes with a PlayStation 3 DualShock that was priced at 140 now that's being dropped down to $100. And um, basically, for those of you that don't know, the PlayStation, uh, that particular PlayStation TV micro console allows you to play uh, stream PS4 games to another HDTV in your house, as well as play certain Vita, PSP, and PS1 classic games. So if you're, if you're in the market to um, you know have the games on other televisions and don't want to invest in another PS4, then maybe you may want to pick that up and you know give that an opportunity. I mean, at eighty bucks, it's not a bad investment, and even at one at a hundred with the with an extra Dual Shock controller, it's not a terrible deal either. I can agree with that. Yeah, I think in in your case, don't you? Yeah, I think that might work for you to have the extra console in a, in another room in your house. Yeah. You don't think so? You wouldn't because do it. I'm not very likely to play any PS4 games in the bedroom. I mean. I'm going to bedroom to sleep. Gotcha. Some people are weird with that stuff. I figured I'd ask. I mean, 
If it if I had a different setup, I'd probably have you know have that in 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 a fan like that'd be good for a person that has you know their own space and maybe a family room as well. I mean, like I said, for eighty bucks, it's not a bad deal. And considering that you can play Vita games and PSP games and PS One classics, that might be a nice way to kind of play those handheld games without investing in a Vita that may eventually become a fucking paperweight. No, I mean, I, I understand. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be in somebody's bedroom, just not for me. I mean, if I had more room in my bedroom, I, I would say so, yeah. But it's like, I feel like for me to game in my bedroom, I, I'd have to have, like, room for, like, a, a exercise bench or something because if I, if I just start freaking gaming in my bedroom, I'm going to start eating in my bedroom. That's <laughs> ah, happen. Ah, you fall into the category of people that game and eat at the same time. But you need your gamer fuel, man. Fuck that, dude. That's that's a that's a that's a cardinal rule. There is no eating while playing games in my house. I don't want grease covered controllers. I don't want crumbs on my shit. Absolutely. Oh no 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 no. no. That, that's what pause is for. But it's like you pause, you put down the controller, and you fucking eat. Then you go back to the game. Fair enough. I'll I'll give you that. Um, now, I mean, you think about it. Especially with a PS4, you can pause your game and like watch WWE or freaking watch a movie or something. Well, I mean, on the Xbox One with the split screen, I've used that once or twice just to check certain things. But so I, I can see where that's applicable. The whole eating thing, though, big fucking no no. <laughs> At least for me. I hear you on that. No, I hear you on that too. That's why, you know, that's why I'm not doing it in the bedroom. It's like <laughs> the, the 360's in the bedroom. And like I said, I don't even have Xbox um, Xbox Live right now. Ah, okay. And I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I'm getting it back because there's nothing that I see that's coming out for the 360 this year. All right, fair enough. Uh, on the Nintendo side of things, they have put out some some little news tidbits letting gamers know that the brand new Star Fox game for the Wii U will be playable at this year's E3. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto added fuel to that fire during a Smoosh Games interview. He said, we'll have a version ready to play at E3 for everyone to try out. So, um, you know, what's up? That sucks. I was hoping to have the game before June. Nah, I think, I think they're going to go, they're going to go and kind of level, you know, get, generate a buzz. If anything, I probably see Star Fox being a holiday release. With possibly, yeah, yeah. Well, you never know, dude. That those two games might be really good system bundles for the holiday season. So I hate when they do that. <laughs> but not the game in freaking 2014, and it's not coming out to almost 2016. Pretty much, it depends. They did that shit last year. Yeah, they did, but. You know, it's something that doesn't shock me when it comes to some of these first party games, because remember all the issues that were going on with people complaining about the delays with Super Smash Brothers when it came to the Wii U. Yeah, and then let's, let's not forget the other console, all the games that came out and were fucked up this past year. Oh, yeah, that was uh, all I got to say. All I got to say is Ubisoft and Assassin's Creed <laughs> and Drive Club. And, well, yeah, well, and Drive Club as well. I will I will throw in this last nugget of of information that came out of CES, which was real interesting. Uh, Nike put out um, a peripheral called the Data Bank, which allows you to upgrade the PlayStation Four storage capacity using a standard three and a half inch desktop computer drive. Basically, what you do is you take the peripheral and you put it on top 
of your PlayStation 4 and you're able to expand it with a standard three and a half inch drive. Now, some people were were kind of downplaying the necessity for that just because of the of the ease of upgrading the storage capacity on your PlayStation 4 currently. But others felt that if you have, uh, you know, a four or five terabyte, three and a half inch drive laying around, that it would definitely come in handy. Um, I did want to put that as as the closing story because I wanted to ask, especially, you know, with the amount of stuff that they're putting out and, and the and the increased size of games, where where do you stand with a peripheral like this? I'm already looking into getting a larger hard drive for my PS4. Not that I need one at the moment, but I could see that it would become an issue later on. Right. And I want it to be inside my PS4, not sitting on top. Well, where there, it's going to collect heat and generate heat. Right. Okay. Well, what they were saying is that the um the system draws power, the, you know, the peripheral draws power from the PS4's AC adapter and um it's it's probably going to be priced between 30 and 40 bucks. Now, looking at it, a 2 and a half inch drive, I think the cutoff size is what? 2 terabytes now on a 2 and a half. And that's plenty. That's four times the size of what you get with a PS4. Right. But in terms of just downloading, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know what it is? I look at it from, from a storage capacity standpoint, and I'm in the same camp as you. I like upgrading. I upgraded the hard drive on the PS3, and I like just doing it internally. But I'm also looking at it from the standpoint that being able to toss in a 5 or a 6 terabyte drive and maybe just put a couple of, of movies on there and stuff like that, I mean, it, it has its place. But I also think that, um, you know, going back to what you said, the heat issue is something that definitely poses some some concerns for me personally. And as you know, digital movies don't work too well in my house. Right. I, I like just physical copies. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, for me, like I said, I I, I liked I I saw a photo of the peripheral and I said, wow, that's that's an interesting concept. And then I thought about it and I said, you know, three and a half inch drives are pretty damn cheap, so I understand the logistics behind it, but. I was thinking just about how the heat is going to is going to be distributed and, you know, just the um, the spinning of the platter on the three and a half. You know, that's going to be fairly loud, you know, There you go. and if, if anything, I would have rather that accessory, honestly, on the Xbox one, because Microsoft and their fucking proprietary storage is bullshit. They're pulling that shit again with the Xbox one. That's what I've heard. I haven't really cracked there or played around with the storage on the Xbox one. I, I kind of want to lean towards being able to upgrade it. But like I said, the Xbox one is, it's such a massive box, dude, that you just, no pun intended. <laughs> you don't want to, I don't really go poking around. I don't really go poking around in it, <laughs> but Hey, I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta call it like it is, dude. The Xbox one is a giant fat VCR. It is. It's just a big cumbersome looking box. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's great. It does a lot of cool shit. But aesthetically, you look at it and you're like, uh, yeah, uh, really nice, really nice receiver you got there. Dude, that's my Xbox One. <laughs> it's like, it would be great if they made a freaking a slim like they did with the 360. I'm sure that once they figure out how to use less hardware and go smaller, it's going to get a smaller platform. You know it's going to happen. But, it, you know, keeping it big and cumbersome as it is now it's not it's not killing anybody but it's something that you know it happened with the xbox 360 they slowly but surely scaled it down until they got it to a nice a nice aesthetically pleasing footprint so 
The one thing that bothers me that I don't like is that you can't stand it vertically. Mm, I mean, I see how that could be a, a pain in the ass. I, Dude, as big as that shit I, is, I, I would have loved that, especially because I'm I'm changing TV stands. And I'm like, damn, this thing is fucking huge, you know? <laughs> like, I'm getting a vertical stand for the PS4. I hear you. But uh, other than that, that's actually um going to wrap up the segment. I, I did uh, just want to ask if there was anything else you wanted to add. No, I just... Um... I'm trying to think. The only thing I'm really looking forward to this month is Dying Light. Yep, I'm looking forward to see, to seeing your review on that. It's like that game really looks crazy, and I'm really hoping that it lives up to all the hype because it's got me really anxious to play it. Absolutely. But we'll see in about two and a half weeks. There you have it, ladies and gents. Definitely be on the lookout for that, and also be on the lookout for some Archer-related content courtesy of Slick as well. Many of you uh, expressed a lot of appreciation and uh, a lot of support for Slick's Archer content, and you will be seeing that on Rageworks very, very soon. Yep. There you go. All right, my friend, I appreciate the assist on the gaming segment this week. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, buddy. Peace. Peace. As always, you can find Slick on our Rageworks and My Take Radio fan pages, and you can follow him on Twitter at MTRSlick. All right, I am uh, breaking breaking already the re- the resolution of going uh, under ninety minutes, but the entertainment news for this week shouldn't run too long, so let's get that ball rolling, shall we? So I want to get the ball rolling with the box office totals from this past holiday weekend, which um, continued to be the weekend of The Hobbit as it continued to secure the number one slot, earning an additional $21.9 million, bringing its grand total to $220.8 million since its release. Into the Woods came in at number two. Unbroken, uh, the film directed by Angelina Jolie, came in at number three. The Woman in Black, which came out on January 2nd. I didn't even know they were doing a sequel to that movie. Uh, It's the Woman in Black Angel of Death came in at number four, earning $15.1 million. A Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb came in at $14.5 million, bringing its total to $89.7 million in the number five slot. Annie came in at number six. The Imitation Game came in at number seven. The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 came in at number eight with an additional $7.7 million bringing its grand total to $323.9 million. That's a that's a big haul for uh, Mockingjay Part 1. The Gambler earned an additional $6.3 million to bring its totals up to 27.6. And last but not least, Big Hero 6 drops to number 10, earning an additional $4.8 million, bringing its total to $211.3 million. Now, the thing that gets me with Big Hero 6 is that it's still holding... Uh, holding solid in the number 10 slot and it's probably um, if I remember correctly uh, the release date is probably going to be the first week of February so uh, I believe there'll be a digital release first and then a blu-ray dvd release shortly after and with that it's definitely going to gain even more momentum I mean Big Hero 6 was an awesome movie I enjoyed it it was one of the first films that we gave five stars to on rageworks.net So definitely check out the review if you haven't. And if you haven't got to the theater to see it, I recommend you do. Um, And of course, like with any Marvel movie, 
make sure you stay after the credits. All right, so the next bit of news has been received with both love and hate, depending on who you ask. Um, I'm sure those of you in the chat room are going to have your own insight to share, and that involves the live-action adaptation of Ghost in the Shell. Um, Variety reports that Scarlett Johansson will be playing the role, the lead role in Ghost in the Shell, and um, a lot of people were torn about this. I personally think that um, I, even though it has, you know, the anime and manga-inspired roots, I'm sure that the film is going to take a different turn. And with Scarlett Johansson involved, I mean, she she was very good as Black Widow. I think she'll do the role. She, she'll she'll do a good job with the role. I know a lot of people are concerned because it may turn into a live-action Dragon Ball Z fiasco. But the problem is that. For you to get mad at some casting right away without even giving it a shot is is something that for me personally, I've, I've been guilty of it a lot of times. But, you know, Steven Spielberg is involved. He's been trying to get the adaptation moving. Uh, DreamWorks is a solid company. And like I said, Scarlett Johansson's not a slouch in, in the action genre department. So I think Ghost in the Shell should be at least passable. But until we start getting trailers and more casting updates, we're going to be following this very, very closely. I said, Johnny, I agree 100%. Johnny Boy in the chat says, I, ho- I hope they don't mess this up. You know what the problem is? The general consensus is saying that those exact words, and I'm right there in that camp with you. Um, the problem is with, with films like this, e- even with comic book films, we've, we've talked about this on numerous occasions on the show. There's always that what if, what if it sucks? And then there's, you know, you got to look at the flip side too. What if it's really great? I mean, when G.I. Joe came to the big screen the first time, it wasn't the greatest film, but it gave me hope that with the right director, it would improve. And the sequel to G.I. Joe was substantially better and and actually was closer to the G.I. Joe roots that we all know and love. Now, with with rumors of Masters of the, of the Universe coming to the big screen, I, I'm in the same camp. Masters of the Universe, if done correctly, can become, uh, you know, a huge epic a constant film series that can be, you know, that can make substantial money or it can be a huge dud. It depends on who you ask. I mean, when you look at Masters of the Universe, especially if you're an 80s kid or even a 90s kid, because they did that really, really good Masters of the Universe series afterwards with the Snake Men, you'll see that there are good stories that can come out of that series if they're done right. You can create at least a pretty decent trilogy out of it acknowledging characters, you know, obviously Skeletor, the Snake Men, and even Hordak, but it's all about execution and about giving the film, you know, doing the film justice. Uh, obviously, there's there's movies like Transformers where many people are torn about, you know, the success and the execution of these series, but um, again, with Ghost in the Shell and even with the rumors of Masters of the Universe, I really am going to take a cautious approach for the time being, but Obviously, if we get more news on it, we will definitely be get, we be sharing that with you guys ASAP. Now, on the Star Wars side of things, of course, even though the next Star Wars film is not scheduled to hit theaters till December 18th, there continues to be constant casting news being done. Uh, even right now, uh, one one particular bit of casting news that really got my attention was the casting of some of the actors from the film the raid and also the sequel the raid to berendal um actors from that film are joining the star wars cast including Iko uais who played rama in both films he was the lead 
and um, he's an incredibly talented martial artist. I think he's going to be a great addition to the cast, whether it's as a Sith or as a Jedi. Also joining um, is going to be Yayan Ruhian, who played Mad Dog in uh, the Raid Redemption, and also Csep Raman, who was the assassin in the Raid to Berandal. All three actors will be joining the Star Wars Force Awakens film. So it's going to be very interesting to see what characters they portray because if if anything, when you're talking about the raid and its cast, you're probably talking about really good close quarter fight scenes, which leads me to believe that we, we may see um, some really, really good fight sequences in this upcoming Star Wars film, which to me is something that I felt has been lacking in a lot of films for quite some time. I mean, if you if you watch the the fir- the uh, the newer trilogy, the fight between Qui-Gon Jinn, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi against Darth Maul is one of those fights that you really felt could have gone you really would have liked to have seen gone longer. And even in the, you know, in the second film with with General Grievous and even with Count Dooku and the fight obviously on Mustafar between Obi-Wan and the the Darth Vader um, the thing that gets me with that is that I just felt that the fights could have been lengthier and they could have just been executed a bit more fluid. And I think that by bringing in guys like, like uh, you know, talented guys from the raid um, is really going to is going to add a, a great dimension to these films, because I do feel that while obviously the Jedi and the Sith are the driving force in these films, fight choreography is something that when you're, you're talking about sword combat is 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 it's top you know it's paramount especially to me don't get me wrong storytelling is always going to be front and center but in a film that relies so heavily on on close quarter combat with lightsabers and you know obviously you're going to have your fair share of space battles and laser blasts and all that stuff but really close quarter jedi combat is something that we need to see more of especially because there's so many great and talented fight choreographers out there I really hope that we do get to see that Dark Helmet says the fights are going to be top tier. And he also says that Anakin versus Obi-Wan was top tier. I definitely felt that that fight was really good. I did. I did like, um, like I said, the first fight with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan against Darth Maul is is one of my favorite Star Wars fights. Uh, just because Ray Park, again, when you get a guy who's really good with fight choreography, you're going to get something very, very special. Obviously, Darth, Wa- Darth Maul meeting his demise the way he did so quickly uh, definitely upset a lot of Star Wars fans. But still, the fight for what it was was pretty damn good. So once we get more word on their involvement and the and, and who they're going to play, we will definitely be sharing that with you guys now. Let's switch gears and jump into the Marvel side of things as Channing Tatum and Fox confirmed that the Gambit film, the Gambit solo film, will be hitting theaters October 7th, 2016. And get this, the second part of the Fantastic Four reboot, which hasn't even hit screens yet, is scheduled to hit theaters June 2nd, 2017. So with that said, you're already uh, securing a box office slot for Gambit and his solo film, but you're also securing a spot for a film that hasn't even been released yet, and we don't even know how it's going to be received in Fantastic Four, which, considering how Marvel has pretty much turned their back on the franchise, doesn't give me a lot of hope. So, even though they're announcing a sequel, I don't, I don't, feel, I don't feel too comfortable with that date or even with that film seeing the light of day, but don't quote me on it. We're just going to take a wait-and-see approach. 
I know a couple of guys are going to be excited with the next bit of news. Um, if you're a fan of the Game of Thrones TV series and you've been wondering what it would look like on the big screen in IMAX, well, you're going to have the opportunity to check that out starting January 23rd. Um, they're going to put the last two episodes of the fourth season on the big screen, and um, that's going to be the Watchers of the Wall, which of course includes the huge battle between the Wildlings and the Night and the Night's Watch at Castle Black, and also the finale with the children. Um, that's also going to be an episode that you're going to want to check out again if you're a, a huge Game of Thrones fan and you want to see it in 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 huge IMAX glory then definitely look to see what theaters in your area will be playing it on January 23rd. In some other movie release news, the upcoming Jason Bourne film finally has a release date. Um, it's actually being released on July 5th, 20... Uh, correction. Let me let me rephrase that. The original release date was July 15th, 2016, and it's now being moved to July 29th, 2016, and the reason they're doing that is because they don't want it to compete against this next Planet of the Apes film, which was originally scheduled for July 29th and has now been moved to July 14th. So if you're a fan of Matt Damon and you're looking forward to Jason Bourne, mark down July 29th on your calendars. And if you enjoyed the brand new Planet of the Apes series, then you're going to need to mark July 14th, 2017 on your calendar if you're going to check that out. Dark Helmet adds, uh, Darth Maul should have booked it after letting Obi-Wan fall, so Maul versus Obi-Wan would have happened in Episode 2. Obi-Wan's rage would have been legendary. <laughs> I, li- I, like, I like how Darth Helmet adds to that, and it's true, there, there's definitely some, some, validity, some validity there. Uh, the thing that gets me is that, like I said, you, you, you created this really iconic character in Darth Maul, and you killed him off so quickly, you didn't even give him an opportunity to to get better screen time and just become a more established character. The only way you're able to learn more about Darth Maul now is by picking up the comics from Dark Horse. Otherwise, he's just the guy that got cut in half at the end of episode one, which is unfortunate. All right, so I did want to talk about the interview and, of course, all the, the, the huge firestorm surrounding that film. Um, the funny thing was that after admonishing North Korea, the president admonished North Korea and countless people got pissed off because Sony essentially pussied out. Uh, Sony surprised everyone and released the interview over the holiday break. And the film has earned $31 million in online revenue since being released online. That means that it has, um, it's earned money from 4.3 million legal downloads. This number adds to the 5.1 million in domestic theatrical gross. So, again, the interview, for as much as people pan it and hated it, and whatever the case may be, it really changed the consumption of media. And the reason I say this is because, think about it, it wasn't that long ago when a brand new film had to be seen at the box office and, you know, at, the, at, the, at a movie theater, and you had to wait months and months and months before it came out, either for rental or for DVD and Blu-ray, and the interview really changed that because think about it. This film made $31 million, $31 million by having a release both for digital distribution and also in theaters. And people don't look at it that way because they just figure that, um, you know, people don't look, people don't look at that and, and think about the big picture. And I, you know, when I saw it, I said, this is going to change the game 
in more ways than people know. Because think about it. You created this film, you released it legally, and people people still people still bought it. I knew countless people on social media that were posting that they were watching it or they bought it or they were renting it. So for the film to make $31 million in online in online revenue, it's it's insane. And like I said, with the additional 5.1 million, the grosses thus far are 36.1. So 36.1 million dollars. Um, Johnny Boy said that um, that the, he he believes the budget was 40 million dollars. So think think about that. There's a four million dollar difference from a film that was distributed both digitally and in theaters. It's pretty fucking crazy. And like I said, people look at it as, you know, us and North Korea and the hackers. I looked at the big picture and that's that releasing movies both for digital distribution and in theaters may eventually become the norm just because people are still making the money. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're not don't expect to see Avengers to get that type of a release for obvious reasons. But I think that studios that are doing smaller films may benefit from this approach because who knows, you may get a better reception by doing it that way. Uh, correction, Johnny, Johnny boy, uh, provided the information. He told me that it's $44 million for, for, um, the interview according to Google. So even still, you know, 40, $44 million, they still made $36 million. And like I said, they were, they were continuing to make, they're continuing to make waves all over the place because think about it, the interview was on the tip of everybody's tongue socially for, for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. And when it was announced that it was being released on Christmas Day, all you saw on social media with regards to a social footprint was the fact that this film was being released. It's insane. Uh, Johnny Boy adds, I thought it was good for what it was. It made me and my friends laugh and we had a great Christmas Eve watching it with friends. Uh Dark Helmet adds, this could have been a test. Lower budget films have under 50 million could benefit from this method. Big blockbusters need a big screen. I agree 100%, but think about it. A film that costs 20, 30 million dollars to watch, maybe you don't want it clogging up the box office. You throw it out on digital distribution. You release it in a couple of theaters and maybe you break even or who knows, maybe you're extra successful with it. I mean, there are instances where, where people just hate going to the movies. I mean, I, I like going to the movies to see certain films because they only can be enjoyed on the big screen initially. But there are certain films that I wouldn't mind if they release them on on digital distribution and also in theaters. You know, smaller films would definitely be able to to do well with that. But again, I'm talking about smaller scale films and not, you know, films that have a $5 million budget because that's different. But I'm talking about films like, all right, let me let me give an example. Say you want to do another American Pie, and you know that the movie's going to make some decent money, but maybe not the amount of money you'd expect. But if you release the film digitally and charge $15 for it, which is essentially the cost of a movie ticket anyway, then you may you may make some headway with it. Again, I'm it may not be the best example, but it's a film that you know, isn't is it's not going to set the box office on fire. It it depends. I, I I've been wrong, but again, you release a film like that and and you hope for the best. I mean, you know, Johnny Boy said with regards to the interview, what did people expect from the interview? Some genre defining film, and it's true. I I didn't expect anything from it because honestly, all these Rogan and Franco movies have been 
passable at best. You know, they're not movies that are going to be ingrained in, in pop culture, but they succeeded in doing that with the interview because of all the negative press that it got. Think about it. The interview probably got more pop culture exposure than films that spent tens and tens and thousands and millions of dollars on advertising all because another country was offended about it. It's insane, but it is what it is. But I figured I'd share that number with you guys because it's a, it's a pretty decent number. $36.1 million, 31 million of that being just from online distribution. And might I add legal online distribution anyway. So if you're a fan of the flash and um, you've been following the flash and arrow on the CW and you're familiar with the Spartacus TV series, you're probably you're you're probably not shocked to see so many cast members from Spartacus on both shows. But, you uh, you know, it makes you wonder if we're going to see any others. Well, it seems that the lead from Spartacus, Liam McIntyre, will be playing one of the characters on the upcoming episode of CW's Flash. He will be playing the Weather Wizard. So the, Liam McIntyre joins, um, you know, Manu Bennett as as another iconic character on a CW TV show. And he will be playing the character of weather wizard whose alias Mark Maddon um, is going to be the weather wizard character utilized for that particular episode. I, I think it's very cool. Liam McIntyre is a solid actor. Uh, Manu Bennett is definitely no slouch. And I think he's done an amazing job with both Slade Wilson and Deathstroke. Um, the actress that plays Nisa Al Ghul, her name, ah, Katrina law, she she's done a great job on Arrow as the daughter of Ra's al Ghul. So overall, I think the Spartacus cast has found renewed life with both CW shows. Of course, uh, the the young lady who played Navia in the um, in the later Spartacus seasons it plays Amanda Waller on Arrow as well. So obviously, the the cast of Spartacus definitely is favored by the CW network, and I don't mind because I think they're an incredibly talented. Uh, an incredibly talented cast and it's good to see them continue to be successful outside of Spartacus. So there you have it. If you're looking forward to seeing that episode, it's going to be, he will be appearing in episode 15 and 16 of the flash later this season. The flash returns to television on January 20th with arrow returning on January 21st. All right. So, if you've been following Marvel news with regards to the Netflix TV series, you'll know that there are uh, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, and Iron Fist, and the Defenders, and that's pretty much been the slate thus far. Well, Marvel and Netflix surprised fans earlier this week by announcing that Daredevil will be available on Netflix in on April 10th, 2015. So you'll be able to check out uh, Charlie Cox as the Man Without Fear, Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin on the Netflix Daredevil series. And, um, you know, I'm very interested in seeing how they pull this off because this can, once again, like I said with the interview, this can change the way that certain lower tier characters get screen time. I mean, if people really enjoy the Daredevil series and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, then who knows? We may see some of the more uh, obscure Marvel characters that people like get a get a shot at 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 glory on the Netflix platform. I'm watching it very carefully. I think in Daredevil's case, he has an incredible an incredible story and is a very dark character and I think that with the within the confines of Netflix, he would definitely succeed. Uh, there's another show which is Constantine on NBC 
whose ratings haven't been great, but they've started improving over the last couple of episodes. I think Constantine would benefit from being on Netflix as well. That's just my opinion on it. But um, I- I'm definitely pumped to see Daredevil in April and Jessica Jones. Eh, I- I'm a little, I'm a little unsure only because I'm not, I'm not a fan of the casting of Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, but I definitely want to check out Luke Cage when it drops. Um, obviously, uh, because Luke Cage is an awesome character, and I think that if his character's done right, he can be a character that can easily be inserted into a big screen, into a big screen role. Because obviously, Luke Cage, depending on which version of of the of the Avengers books you've read, has been a member of the team. So it's something you definitely have to consider. Um, like I said, so is Iron Fist. Iron Fist has been involved with the Avengers as well. So uh, Marvel's doing a really, really great job of of establishing a footprint on every platform for their characters. I only hope that the uh, the momentum that they've had on the big screen and even on the small screen with Agent Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. translates to the Netflix uh, series as well. Of course, once we hear release dates for the other series, we will definitely share that with you guys. Last but not least, I got to talk some sequel news, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody considering that they're low-budget films and cost practically nothing to make, but it looks like we will be getting another Purge film hitting theaters July 1st, 2016. Now, of course, the first Purge film was um, it was considered a success depending on who you asked. I mean, I watched it. The concept was pretty cool. Do I think that it deserved two sequels? No. Uh, the second Purge film, I think really, I ended up enjoying it only because uh, Frank Grillo did a great job in the film. But again, not not something that I really expected to see three films made. But again, this falls into the same into the same bracket as films like Paranormal Activity, The Conjuring, um, films like that, because their budgets are very low. They're usually well received and usually they they sometimes double their budget based on ticket sales. So with that said, I'm not shocked, but I just feel it's unnecessary. I mean, uh, films like The Purge, uh, Paranormal Activity, after the second or third film, and in some cases the fourth, they just really start to lose their luster. I mean, I was having a a discussion with with a colleague of mine, uh, I'd like to say three weeks ago, we were talking about Saw. And if you remember the Saw films, you know, they they released uh, sequel after sequel after sequel after sequel to bring Jigsaw's story full circle. And depending on who you ask, some people say that they did a really great job with it. Some people say that after the third film, the series just hit, you know, the skids. So honestly, in my opinion, I think that uh, horror films and certain genre films, they, they don't really need sequels, but the box office numbers dictate that they need to be made. So make of it what you, what you will. I mean, Friday the 13th is a great example. Think of all the Jason movies that have come and gone and how terrible a lot of them have been, but they still make money at the box office. The same thing applies with Halloween, uh, depending on which version you like, whether it's the Rob Zombie version or the original version, they make money and they get people in theaters. Uh, I know that there's going to be a brand new Friday the 13th on the horizon and they're going to use the uh, the found footage style similar to the Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity to do that. I don't know how well that'll work, but I'm definitely I've been watching the development of it uh, for quite some time. I will say that one film that I'm I haven't heard of in years is getting a sequel, and that's Phantasm. They're actually doing a new one called Phantasm Ravager, 
I uh, I got the trailer earlier this week, and I want to share it with you guys because it's so over the top. Angus Scrim will be reprising his role as the tall man, and Reggie Bannister, of course, will be reprising his role as Uncle Reggie. Hopefully, he's still driving that badass Barracuda that he drove in the other Phantasm films, which I loved very, very much. I will say this. The Phantasm films are not Oscar-winning films in the least, but they're always a guilty pleasure for me because I am a horror movie fan. So, figured I'd throw out that little nugget of information to wrap things up. But, uh... That's it for this week, guys. So uh, let's take it away. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 264, uh, broadcasting live Thursday, January 8th, 2015. Of course, My Take Radio is presented by Rageworks. And if you want to listen to archived episodes of the show, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Of course, if you want the best My Take Radio experience, pick up the My Take Radio app, available for Android iOS and Windows mobile devices. It costs $199. You, you get 96K stereo episodes of My Take Radio, mobile wallpapers, and other app exclusive content as well. All right. On behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, and the rest of the MTR family, I will see you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys. We're out of here. Peace. I'm rich, yeah.